You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Starring Pete Ruggieri, Larry Maris, and Jason Lewis. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. So sit back and enjoy some Masonic conversation without pretension. And now, here's your hosts, Pete, Larry, and Jason. And And Jack. Jack. Hey, that's me. Hey, welcome everybody. It's a Masonic Late Podcast. It's time for episode 38. 38. 38. Wow. That's amazing. Sometimes I just can't believe we're still around. I know. (laughs) Um, I ran into a guy um, in a, this is, here we go. Since I don't, since I, I'm not really gainfully employed other than this podcast, um, Oof, that's gotta hurt. Yeah, <laughs> last Friday, last Friday, I I like snuck out to a bar at nine o'clock in the morning, and I, that sounds bad, but <laughs> nah, not at all. They but, served, they had breakfast. But yeah, kegs and eggs. There's a local bar here called <laughs> called Valentino's, and oh, um, yeah, so I'm sitting in there and I've got my Masonic Light podcast shirt on while I'm drinking my Shirley Temple. Mm-hmm. And and the beer guy comes in and he's moving beer around and he's like, he sees me and he sees my shirt and goes, hey, I listened to your show. Get out. He's an, I forgot his name already, but he's an effort of Mason. What? Yep. Effort of Mason. So he's in your lodge, Jack. Who's a beer guy? Here, t- talking to your mic, Jack. It works. Yeah, uh, he's a beer guy. For, yeah, for a Wacker Wacker Brewing, uh, the new little microbrewery downtown that is like a yeah yeah no revamp of yeah, a yeah. hundred year old brewery. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So there we go. Whoever you are, hey. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, today we're gonna have a great guest. Um, it's way more intelligent than this show deserves. Um, Mark Tabbert. And we're going to we're going to pretend like it didn't happen yet, happen yet, but uh, Right. We actually just talked to him, but we're going to play it after this little little rant. Uh, but Mark Tabbert from the uh, George Washington Memorial, fascinating, fascinating uh, gentleman. Um, but we'll start off how we always do, Larry. Yes, sir. What have you been doing in the past couple weeks masonically? The past couple weeks uh last week particularly was pretty busy. Um, we had the we had goose and gridiron breakfast of course, which Keeps growing every time. Uh, also, too, I went out on a in- uh, committee of inquiry with you, Pete, uh, where we interviewed a prospective candidate at a great night. Things are falling apart in here and uh, right right now. This Only is like, symbolically, Larry. Symbolically, yeah. I uh, had a great night with that. Uh, and I'm not going to talk too much about Grotto, but we had Grotto on Sunday. And that was... An awesome. Actually, it was one of the better grotto meetings I've been to in a long time. Yeah, it was actually we had serious discussions, even though most of us were dressed in togas. <laughs> okay, one word: meat. That's all it needs to that's be what, said. That's what meat. we. That's what we ate. That has yeah. nothing to do. There with There wasn't the togas. anything green on the buffet. <laughs> no, nothing. There wasn't, no. Not a thing. Jason, anything going on in your world? Yeah, I uh, I conferred my very first first degree. Yay. Yeah, uh, I was there. Yeah, you were, and. Uh, Pete gave me a B minus if it was uh, not my first time, and, uh, and an A A plus if uh, with the curve, uh, for, for with my the first curve, time, with yeah. the curve, yeah. The Russian judge gave you an eight point two. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I tell you, I was I was super nervous, and uh, once once I started to go, it just uh, it happened, and there was minimal mistakes. I caught almost all my own mistakes except for one, and uh, but I think the candidates got a great experience, so that's all that really matters. Um, I, I, work, Scottish Rite stuff, uh, reunions coming up both in the valleys of Lancaster and Harrisburg. And uh, just meetings and prep and rehearsals for that. We're, I think a lot of us are in the eighth degree together, except for Jack. You got to travel now, so I took your part. Yay. And uh, yeah, that's really about it. Jack, you've, you've been busy. What's going on the past couple of weeks? Uh, we had a, an extra meeting, which was uh, really well done. We have coming up in two days. So by the time this airs, it'll be over the Lodge in the Woods. So that's been what's keeping me awake at night now, just thinking about the details of that and everything that I've forgotten to do. We've got about uh, 260 people coming. Uh, we're, we'll have a nice steak dinner up at the scout camp and uh, Grandmaster's coming and lots of awards. I think we have seven Daniel Carter Beard and six Master Builder Awards and three Master Craftsman, Craftsman Awards and one Master Pillar. Mm-hmm. Very well. Mm-hmm. So it'll be a good night. Um, 
If you don't have your ticket yet, I'm Are sorry, you, but it'll be over by the who, time you do this. Who is the master pillar, by the way? Uh, that would be me, Larry. Whoa. Thank you for asking. Whoa. Congratulations. Yeah, big schmear. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, How and, about you? Well, you also, um, you guys both had uh, chapter. You had a chapter chapter, was, chapter, you did not go to chapter. I was with New Candidates Mentoring. I'm Ooh. sorry. I know. Chapter was excellent. Uh, we conferred the Mark degree on three fellows, and it was great. Uh, nobody was reading. Everybody knew their work. It was done well. And uh, I was very proud of the chapter. I, I, I posted that on Facebook. The guys all worked together beautifully, and it came off um, as as well as I've seen a, a, a York Wright degree go. So, yeah, we were very pleased. Very cool. Um, and what did I have going on? I had a... You you were at uh, um, Scottish Rite eighth degree rehearsal before you had to go into council, right? We did council. There was no air conditioning in that uh, in the red room, so all of us near you know when you get a room full of elderly men and people like me who are not elderly but I have the body of an elderly man, <laughs> the heart of an elderly man. It turns into man soup. Yeah, it's really really hot. Just think about being on the fourth floor, no windows. Um, yeah, in a tuxedo and a silly hat. So it's fun. Good times. <laughs> um, and yeah, Larry and I went out on a really nice um, committee of investigation. Um, it's really one of my favorite things to do. I don't, I, I got kind of burned out of Blue Lodge, uh, but that's one thing I always make sure I do. Anytime I'm asked to be on a committee of inquiry, I, I've never said no. I just think it's one of the coolest things. You're the one of the first people these guys get to meet. Okay. Yeah. You'll so, be on all of them after this. You know that. Yeah, I know. We should uh, we should send out a thank you to our last guest on episode thirty seven because that was quite the episode. Heather Callaway. She was oh, great. She was phenomenal. Yeah, she was really great. We should we should have her back if she'll have us. When the next guest starts quoting the last guest, then you know right. it's a good guest. Well, we know that all of you listen to every single episode in out order. There. In order. But if but if you haven't for some reason, you listen should listen backwards. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, we're back. This is Larry here. We love hearing from you. Send us an email at MasonicLightPodcast at gmail.com or give us a call. Leave us a message at 315-596-2766. That's 315-59-MASON. Also, too, you can drop us messages. Uh, there's over about a thousand of you. Send us messages on Facebook. We're there. Sonic Light Podcast, we'll get it. And we, we do follow up on it. So, you know. We actually are read a few questions from listeners. That's on, right. In this interview coming up. That's Wait, right. did you, did we act, did you, know you say did. that we have a thousand followers on Facebook? I think 746, actually. Yeah. So you that's, that's rounded that's, up to that, the nearest thousand. Yeah, that's, 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 that's close to 300, Larry. Yeah. That's <laughs> no, we have 746 likes on Facebook. Listen, I, to that end, we, we got a very interesting email through SoundCloud. Are you, were you going to go there next? Yeah. yeah All right, well, I don't want to step on Pete's going to go there next. Gonna you go, you go and there, Pete. Pete because you go there, Pete. Right, go. You guys, you guys do that while I fake news this uh, this stat. <laughs> Larry, is it even on here? It's not on here for me to read. It's not on the outline. So you weren't going to read the no, email, no. Were you? Why, why do I need to give you an outline? Oh you know, my God! All right, we'll, we'll split. Look, look at your damn phones. We don't follow the outlines anyway. What we'll the hell? Sp we'll split the difference. Five hundred seventy-four likes on Facebook. Nice. Oh yeah, that's really impressive. <laughs> oh yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm picturing my cat got 700 today. <laughs> you don't even have a cat. I know. All right. Oh. So talk about that email we got, Pete. I don't know what email we're talking the about. Pete from the, the email the we got through SoundCloud, the guy oh, that was he, frustrated he, with his oh, well, well, yeah, I forwarded him on to you. Oh, so you just kind of... Uh, you know who you are. You just got punted, dude. So here you go. <laughs> it's on your phone, so, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to mention his name. He's he's a brother Mason. He actually um, was raised in Pennsylvania and then moved out of state. And he emailed us because he joined. He finally joined a lodge. And he sent a letter to this lodge and nobody responded. And then he followed up with it and somebody said they'd get somebody in touch with him and nobody responded. So finally he went and like pounded down the door and said, damn it, I want to be a part of this lodge. So um, the, the whole, his whole Masonic experience from trying to join 
to going through the degrees, in, in his words, were just a mess. And, and he was really frustrated and really disappointed in Freemasonry in general. And then he found Masonic Light Podcast. <laughs> and and now... We turn it around for him? We did. We did. I'm, I'm really proud of us because he found something that resonated with him. And, and he and I were going back and forth. And he was, you know, I'm going to, you know, figuratively, you know, take the leap. And so now he's preparing a series of... Masonic education segments for his lodge. He, he asked the worshipful master if if he could start a, a, a series on esoteris, esotericism in his lodge. Um, if he could just get you know five or ten minutes in, at each meeting, and and he took and you've heard me say you've heard me say this. I know. Be the change you want to see in your lodge. I've quoted you right. So he's being the change that he wants to see in his lodge, and and that's. I don't think there's a better testimony for this mess that we do every other week um, than to reach that one guy so that he could help turn his lodge around. I think I, that's awesome. I think there's another big lesson in there. And, and, you know, we talk about this a little bit with Mark, but, you know, aside from, you know, variety is good. And, and my new uh, my new phrase, which you'll hear later, um, you know, I think that we don't do a good job thinking of our membership as customers. Right. And there's a great example of. If you dilly-tally, if you make a mistake, right, if you miss reading a petition or you miss putting something in the notice that was supposed to be there, uh, you can get it somewhere else. And it might not be Freemasonry. It's one thing if you go to a different lodge. What if you just walk away altogether? I mean, Jack, you work in sales. I've worked in sales. If you don't follow up on a lead, you know, you're going to go to Amazon. You can, it, it, you know, and some people think the podcasts are great. And some people don't think that the podcast or the Masonry on Demand, there's the term, are great, but the uh, reality, you uncovered it early. But the reality is, is that if you do not treat your customers, i.e., your members, well, or your potentials, they're going to go get it somewhere else. Yeah, and like this gentleman, he was already a mason, so he kind of understood how lodges work, and he stuck with it. But if that was a, a new member or a prospective member for the whole fraternity in general. He's gone. Yeah, they're never coming back. Yeah, he was gone. I mean, that email that he sent us was basically, "I'm about, I'm fed up with this, and I'm done." And uh, good and men don't do other good men dirty. Yeah, and I don't know that the people involved in his Masonic career did him dirty I, intentionally. I, I was being funny. I know, but it wasn't. So, any, but anyway, just, oh. oh, so <laughs> kidding. Just apathy. Um, it, yeah, yeah. Um, right. Right. That was at the core of it, right? We're so busy being busy doing things that aren't meaningful that we forgot to maybe help this guy, you know, make a significant and, and Mark, step in his Mark, life. Mark will make a comment about that. So his, his talk's already resonating with me. Oh, yeah. Because it's, it's um, you know, you got to find time. And if you're going to be in, in this, be in it to win it. And like, it's a, you know, dedicate your time to this stuff. So maybe we should let everybody listen to Mark. I, it is a Masonic gut check. So, so yeah, uh, here's strap our, in everybody. Here's our interview with uh, Brother Mark Tabbert. Our guest this evening is uh, Mark Allen Talbert. Uh, who was uh, 2006, he actually uh, moved to the George Washington Masonic National Memorial in Alexandria, Virginia, where uh, you are, Mark, your director of collections, and you oversee the That's library correct. and the archives and the museum. Uh, you also do That's a lot correct, of speaking. Yes. And I do have your book here, by the way, uh, American Freemasons. Sure. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, Tell us a little bit more that uh, me. I, I have a whole litany of things here, but tell us more about yourself. Um, so I grew up in Iowa, uh, born and raised in Iowa. Um, I got interested in museums when I was about 26. I worked in museums in Pittsburgh where I got a master's degree. And while I was working on my master's degree, I interested in studying fraternal organizations and Freemasonry. I did an internship in 1995 at the Scottish Rite Museum in Lexington. Um, and then in 1997, I got a job working at the Missouri Historic Society in St. Louis. And while I was there, I was able to go back to Iowa, where I joined a lodge in my hometown of Burlington. So I'm a, I'm a member of Malta Lodge 318 in Burlington, Iowa. And in 1999, I got a job at the Scottish Rite Museum in Lexington, where I was curator of the Sonic and Fraternal Collections for about six and a half years before 
moving down here to D.C. Um, and while I was in Boston, I was master of um, Mystic Valley Lodge and joined the Valley of Boston Scottish Rite and did the York Rite bodies as well. And then moving down here, I slowed down my Masonic uh, activities considerably, but I am a past master of the Lodge of the Nine Muses, 1776 in nice. Washington, D.C. So, um, and then I'm then on the non-Masonic or quasi-Masonic stuff. I'm past president of the Masonic Library and Museum Association. I was treasurer. Sorry, I was the secretary of the Masonic Restoration Foundation for six years, and and on the Masonic Society board and some other stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, appreciate and I'm a, and I'm and I'm a full member of Quarter Coordinating Lodge in London. Very cool, awesome, great yeah. background. Yeah, I'm going to go into the questions now. In your sure. book, American Freemasons: Three Centuries of Building Communities, the opening chapter recounts in compelling detail Masonry's European germination in the hotbed of Enlightenment. Do you think yes. that this was perhaps one of the most defining periods in Masonic history? Well, I think um, as it was its childhood, sure, as a way that childhood um, affects every human every human being. Yes, but uh, childhood doesn't limit you. So the period where Freemasonry is formed into the fraternity that we know it today or understand it today is very important between, say, 1600 and 1720s. Um, uh, just again, as any other kind of childhood, but each generation, each era of America Freemasonry is important and unique and interesting. Uh, there's a great misconception that Freemasonry has stopped changing or evolving. Freemasonry today is very different than it was 100 years ago, very different than it was 200 years ago. And Freemasonry 100 years from now, God willing, will be very different than it is today. So that's what historians do. So that early period is absolutely correct, but a lot of those elements that were put into the fraternity in the early 1700s were sort of cast out or left by the wayside as the fraternity evolved over the years. So, yeah. yes. Yeah. Some, some of those elements being like the esoteric content or what what specifically? Um, I, I think the esoteric contact to a lesser degree because that's always been there. And while people say there's no esotericism in Freemasonry today, that's not true. There's plenty of people. You just brought it up. So clearly there's an interest in it. Sure. I think it's more like um, more the um, – well, certainly um, the understanding of biblical scholarship and knowledge of the Bible, that is almost completely gone from American Freemasonry. Uh, the emphasis on true self-improvement, that's largely gone in many ways. Um and of course, the the class system, the hierarchy that was really established in the British system, of course, didn't translate at all to the American system. We're far more egalitarian, obviously, since we're a republic and a monarchy in the United States. So, yeah, the fraternity is a very different organization here in the United States, even by 1820s, than it was in England by 1820s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I do agree with that. I was at the. Uh... Lodge of Research of England a couple a few years ago, and actually I saw the complete difference in the way uh, they do it over there, and as opposed to what we do over here, which was very very uh, eye opening. Yeah, yeah, and again, that's that's part of the the beauty and strength of the fraternity is that it it is a folk way, uh, and I often say this, and it's it's fundamentally true. Freemasonry is a folk way; it moves and changes and adapts to the culture that it finds itself in. In the same way that the English language changes and adapted according to where it's traveled and spoken around the world, or the way that uh, musical instruments are played in different areas of the world, or you know uh, any type of craftsmanship has changed. Yeah. So that's the fun, and that's the great uh, wonderment of Freemasonry. That wherever you go, whether it's Texas, Massachusetts, or Washington State in this country, it's different versus India, South America, Norway, wherever. Right. Right. U.S. News and World Report stated that the real history of Freemasonry is arguably more interesting than all the tales woven about it. That's a quote. When in your yeah. Masonic journey did you reach this conclusion, uh, prompting you to write American Freemasons? Um, no, even before that. So when I got interested in fraternalism in 1990. Uh, three or so, I discovered this spectacularly important book called The Cyclopedia Fraternalism by uh, Stevens, and that book was originally published in 1899, I think. And that book chronicles over 600 fraternal organizations. Um, 
And the history of the Oddfellows, the Grange, the Knights of Pythias, the Woodsmen of the World, the Ancient Oriented Workmen, those organizations which surround and supported Freemasonry from the 1860s really through to the 1920s reveals this far more rich and complex world of fraternalism. Um, and Freemasonry is one more fraternal organization, albeit the oldest, most important, and the wealthiest, but still one of many children uh, that reveals a, a greater landscape. That is to say, if you only think that there's one type of, of, of cat or feline, and that's the lion, that's an interesting thing as the lion. But when you discover there's pumas and jaguars and uh, bobcats and all sorts of other stuff, you discover that felines are far more interesting. So um, Freemasons get so wrapped up in their unique and specific history, wrapped up in their own 50,000 books written on the subject that they never realize that there's a larger context. And so I, I originally went to the Scottish Rite Museum in Lexington to be the curator of fraternalism, and I ended up, whether I liked it or not, being the curator of Freemasonry and doing a Masonic exhibit. And one of the great disappointments in my life, professionally speaking, is I've never been able to do an Oddfellows or a Grange uh, exhibition or write a book on those organizations. Yeah. Yeah, we had a, a in my hometown. We had a, a Grange, and I just knew that was, um, you know, where we went for meals once in a while. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I had I had no yeah. idea that it was a fraternal organization. I just thought it was a random building. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's again, that's that's often true with a lot of fraternal organizations. People don't realize that there's actually a fraternal organization called the Elks or the Moose, or they just think it's the Moose Hall, right? So. Mark, this is yeah. Jason, and, and you know, obviously it sounds like you have a lot of respect for all the fraternities out there. Aside from your Masonic affiliations, do you belong to any other fraternal organizations that uh, that are for public consumption? Uh, oddly, no. Um, and probably the reason why is those organizations are few and far between, and they're they're difficult to find, and then frankly, I just don't have time. And then lastly, and to be very blunt about it, a lot of those organizations are so diminished and so um, difficult to to see any kind of achievement that it's discouraging even to join. So, uh, if I want that kind of discouragement, there's plenty of, of um, Masonic organizations that are just as just you know as walk as on the way. So. You know, our uh, mutual our mutual friend Seth Anthony is uh, on a uh, yeah. Oddfellows uh, revival kick, and he's uh, recruited yeah. me, and I've I've received uh, I guess our equivalent of the first degree, and he's working on a few of yeah. us on the podcast. But uh, consider this yeah. your open invite. You know, you can always join up here in Middletown. <laughs> Well, no, I, you know, this, the thing about that is I would, I would, I, at some point in my life, I would love to be an odd fellow and do all that stuff. But I'm also, you know, I'm a Massachusetts Freemason, so I expect the ritual to be letter perfect. There's a very high standard for, for ritual in Massachusetts. And I just, and I, I'm just a snob in that way in many ways. There's just a lot of things I cannot see, cannot tolerate seeing being done poorly, you know. And so if you're not in a lodge where the, where the, Ritual is not performed at to a, to a presentable level. Then it just then for me, I just I can't handle being that. Some people can't be around people who sing off key or or you know whatever. I can't be around people who do really bad ritual. I'm just uh, I was just um, spoiled by being in Massachusetts and being a really excellent Masonic lodge in Massachusetts. Nice. So, well, we'll revisit the uh, Oddfellows thing with you in about ten years then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love. Yeah, you know, the, the I've read some of the ritual, the the lectures and stuff are just wonderfully spectacular, very sentimental, very beautiful, very um very sincere stuff. So yeah. So you, you mentioned uh, Mark earlier in the conversation that you were a part of the uh, Masonic Restoration Foundation. Um Yes. It just uh, I know that it's not only about T O, but where do you see T O now and, and where do you see it going forward? Right. So um, a little bit about that. I, I know the founders of the Masonic Restoration Foundation. I was not a member of it, but I know uh, the people who founded it and, and the original board members and, and work originated in traditional observance out of St. Paul, Minnesota and in Oakland. Um, I think traditional observance uh, from what Dennis Tornicki created uh, 10, 12 years ago is a really great standard. I have a great am admiration for it. Um, I'm not sure if it's sustainable sustainable as a lodge model. I think that that level of intensity required to keep in a TO lodge is probably not something that is 
successful in a long period of time. Um, I do think that uh, part of the problem with with that type of lodge is that they get wrapped up in a mystical kind of universe without without its membership being fully grounded in very basic um, Western civilization literature and theology. Um, and there's a there's a problem when you have a lot of men who will read any book in the world except the Bible, which is the great light of Freemasonry. So they think that they know what they're talking about, but they're not well-versed in, in understanding the Bible, right? So, um, and then just the demands of, the, of, of everything that's necessary to have that great lodge is very difficult. And personalities and human beings who they are, being they are, uh, those things tend to crap out, um, if I can use some potty language on your podcast. Um, but I, <laughs> yeah, I, think that, I think that I think that I do think that it's um, I think it's a high standard and it's a wonderful standard and I've been in very very good lodges that have that and it's very impressive. Um, I do, but I do think it's only for a very few number of lodges. I don't. I think that those standards can be applied. But the MRF, while it started with the idea of traditional observance as articulated by Dennis Terninke. The, the MRF, when I was a member of it, was seeking to be a, a big tent organization and to encourage best practices according to whatever groups of Freemasons wish to pursue, because there's not one answer, in my opinion, to, to how, a, how a lodge ought to operate. But every lodge should be constantly looking to improve themselves, having better food, having better ritual, having better uh, social events, having better charitable events, whatever that is. And so um, the MRF was a- aimed over a period of years to be a big tent organization uh, I don't I haven't been on the board for a, a couple of years so I don't really know and not been paying attention to as to where it's going now um, but uh, the last thing about the traditional observance model is again I think uh, oh so the other side of that is and I've I'm also an advocate that I don't think lodges have to be around for longer than they want to be around uh, I think a lodge a group of men should be like a, a theater company or musicians or whomever who, or, or a craftsman or workman who get together, they decide on a project to build a church or a house or to do this play or do a series of plays, and then when they've done their thing, they break up and they go off and do other things, just like you know Paul McCartney and John Lennon broke up the Beatles or whatever. They went on and did other things. And I don't think that a lodge should be aiming to be around for generations. If, if 15 brothers get together and they have a good time for five or six years and then the magic's gone or they've achieved whatever they achieved, they should turn in their charter and form another lodge. That's fine. That's I don't, okay. so, it, That's a good idea. you know. How, how popular yeah. is that opinion? I don't know. I, I, I think it should be very popular, though. I don't know why. Again, I, it's one of those things that that's, um, confuses me with it when it comes to, to grand secretaries and grand lodges. You know, uh, the British grand lodges, they have thousands of charters, and they issue them, and they come back, and they go back. So why not just issue charters to, to good men and true who want to form a lodge? And if the lodge only lasts for five years, what's the big deal? Right, right. <laughs> you know. And Britain is pretty popular for affinity lodges, which is something that we don't really do over here, which I've often wondered why. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, they, well, they used to, and then, you know, a lot of the diversity in the fraternity, like the diversity in the United States— after World War One was squeezed out of it. And so, you know, um, just like the German-Americans were squeezed and, and put out of business, so to speak, after World War One, there's a lot of other ethnic and affinity lodges that were just um, done away with or squeezed out or just disappeared. So there's still one or two Norwegian lodges in New York City, but there are hardly any Norwegians in them. So, yeah. We're going to take a break right now, and uh, we'll be back with our guest, Mark Tabert. Tabert. Okay. Yeah, that's what I said. No, no, Noel. Noel. Uh, no, I didn't Noel. say. I didn't say. Uh, <laughs> this is the kind of stuff we go through all the time, Mark. So bear with us. <laughs> and we'll be back. We'll right. Be back. Hey, Larry Maris. This is Jeff Moyer calling. I don't know if I'm on Moyer's Magical Minute or Moyer's Mentoring, whatever. But I thought I'd call in and complain about the number of tea breaks that you have to take. Do you realize that there's all kinds of catheters available today that could probably help your problem so that you wouldn't have to interrupt the Masonic Light podcast? So give it some thought 
Uh, stop thinking about yourself all the time and think about others first. Talk to you later, Larry. Bye. And we're back. And if you've been listening, you know that our guest is Mark Tabert. And Mark, we were just speaking about Traditional Observance Lodge and some ideas that you had about uh, lodges, you know, staying open as long as they need to and accomplish their goals. And, you know, I wanted to ask you a question uh, kind of on the flip side of that. One of my mantras is variety is good and uh, and, that, and that's good for masonry. And also, you know, kind of coined the idea of, of masonry on demand, not the idea, but the term masonry on demand. And I'm, I'm curious to see what your opinion is about things that are happening in the digital world, like podcasts or virtual lodge or, you know, streaming events like Lodge Research or Academy of Masonic Knowledges and, and what have you. Do you think that's sure. good or bad or in between? Well, I think, I think it's largely good. I think the, that, again, Freemasonry uh, its strength is that it's adapted to different cultures, and the fact that it's stagnated and has, has declined so severely in the last 50 years is due to the fact that it's stagnated. And um, there's an unpublished paper that I wrote many years ago that shows, and you can do a chronology, it's not a difficult thing, but if you look at the different Masonic organizations that were formed before, between 1880 and 1920, there's a huge number from the Grotto, of course, and, and the Demolay and Rainbow and stuff. And then after about 1930, there were no new, really new Masonic organizations. AMD stuff showed up, I guess. But then after the 19, World War II, there's a huge number of charities that showed up that everybody uh, had their own national charity. But in the last 50 years, we've had nothing that's really innovated. And the closest innovation in the fraternity has been, you know, traditional Durbans or Affinity Lodges. So I think Creek Bay should have as much digital content. I'm all for digitizing proceedings. I'm all, in, I'm all for digitizing books. I'm all for all that stuff, podcast, streaming stuff. But I don't think there's any substitute for fraternity. And I mean that in, in the philosophical, metaphysical kind of way, which is the only way Freemasonry works is when you have human beings together in a lodge room that's tiled. Um, Freemasonry exists only when men and women, I suppose, want to have the fraternity. Fraternity only exists when you do the opening and open the great lights and, and the lesser lights and all that other stuff. Virtual, trying to, to create a virtual uh, uh, lodge room is an oxymoron, in my opinion. You know, it, it it's never going to be satisfying. It's never going to mean anything. It's just going to be uh, a novelty, but doesn't create any kind of true fraternity. It doesn't create friendship. It just creates a novelty effect. I guess there's a fraternity in people who ride on a roller coaster, but I don't think that's, they may be all scared together as they go in the hairburn and turn, but that's not a fraternity. You know what I mean? So right. it's a novelty. I think that's, that's yeah. a great answer. This is a topic that Jack and I talk about all the time. And, and I think that we are in agreement that uh, doesn't replace the physical lodge room. However, in our busy society, it is you know it is a nice supplement in between uh, your you know busy schedules. Yeah, I so I don't believe there's such thing as a busy society. If you want to be a Freemason, the men who again, especially Pennsylvania, you know, you guys had a quarter of a million Masons back in you know 80 years ago, and they still had to memorize their catechism like they do today. Um, and they were just as busy. They were just as busy. It was a guess, but it was a priority in their life. Right. Um, I think it's uh, to suggest that people in the past, before you know, modern conveniences, before the automobile, before whatever we take for granted, were less busy is not really true. <laughs> they had plenty of things to keep themselves occupied. Whether it's you know caring for horses and livestock and milking the cows or whatever you know so i think i think we just have to provide a lodge that is uh, meaningful uh and we will we'll be all right so that kind of leads me into my next question this is larry here mark freemasonry's 40-year decline and you you do bring this out eloquently in your book uh american freemasons three centuries of billing i'm plugging it okay uh <laughs> yes can the decline in membership uh, really be blamed uh, on our changing culture, do you think? Say that again. I'm sorry I didn't catch that. Okay. The decline in membership, the 40-year decline in membership that we're experiencing nationwide and in Pennsylvania and so forth, do you think it can yeah. actually really be blamed 
on our changing culture, which is what so many people say. Well, well so I think I, I, was, I was talking to a friend of mine about today. There's so many different factors that nobody's really sorted it out. And um, I'm not sure if anybody has really any other historians have really looked at Freemasonry. Uh, it's decline and change since 1960, other than what I, the, the couple chapters I wrote, which, again, is a shame. There should be a lot more an, an analysis of what's been going on in the fraternity from a socioeconomic uh, point of view and not simply just a statistical point of view, uh, a grand secretary point of view, but, you know, somebody who has a, who's a, a historian of the last half of the 20th century. I do think, though, part of, yeah, there's a lot of changes in, in society and culture. And absolutely different gender roles, uh, different work habits, different uh, form of uh, commuting. Uh, there's a lot of things that fundamentally changed our life. And, um, you know, media in general and certainly television for many, many years mocked and ridiculed the whole fraternal idea as a way to discourage people, in my opinion, to discourage people from joining the lodge. If you've got Fred Flintstone and um, Ralph Cramden looking like an idiot, then that would be discouraging for anybody to be in fraternal organization. And that's popular culture, just being popular culture. I do think, though, I think there's something more profound going on there, which is it's a law. Uh, Freemasonry is predicated, again, Freemasonry is predicated on a level of literacy and knowledge. So the men who created the lodges in the frontiers of Pennsylvania in the 1790s, 1810s, or the frontiers of Iowa in the 1830s, or the frontiers of Montana in the 1870s, or wherever, these men were literate men who brought their their civilization from the East to the West, and they created lodges to help perpetuate that civilization and knowledge. They built schools. They built libraries. They supported churches. They supported all forms of education. That form of and that literacy was based on two, three things: the Bible first and foremost. Most men before 1900 had read the Bible three or four times before they were 21 years old, at least. Uh, Shakespeare, of course, and then you know the Iliad and the Odyssey and other Greek and Roman classics. Um, so Freemasonry made sense to them in a lot of ways because it was a fulfillment of all those things that they understood in the Bible. It wasn't just King Solomon's sent, but it was all the prophets. It was all, all of the Old Testament. It was the other aspects of that story around Solomon. Um, and so for them, it was really a spectacular thing to bring those biblical stories to life. That literacy has declined in, in the United States so severely in the last 60 years that the fraternity doesn't make sense. It's enjoyable, and we get a little bit of it, and we enjoy it just a wee bit, but we don't understand its complexity because we're not literate um, in in the Bible in the way those men were in the past. Right? I, I, I see so, a lot of I see a lot of young guys joining our lodge, Mark, and and, and they're looking yes. for that. They're they're looking for right. exactly that, and I I don't think we know how to give it to them. What what would you suggest as a mechanism for that that we can reach those well, guys? I, you know, I, I'm on my own kick right now, so this is just where I'm at in my own life and stuff, because I have been reading the Bible more frequently. And I would suggest a very obvious thing, that you open up the great light of Freemasonry and you encourage people to read it every day, even if it's a couple chapters out of a book, you know. Um, and the more you read the Bible, the more Freemasonry makes more and more sense, right? Um and and then you understand you're starting to put the rituals and the language and the, the you're starting to understand the point of view of a lot of the men who wrote the lectures and created the fraternity because they were writing from a biblical point of view in many cases right so start you know we all love Albert Pike we all love William Preston we all love uh, Thomas Smith Webb there's a whole Carl Claudia there's a whole range of great Masonic scholars but all those men were their their foundation of their Knowledge was based on reading the Bible, Shakespeare, and you know the Iliad and the Odyssey and some other stuff. So it's difficult because that stuff is difficult to read, and everybody, um, you know, every everybody joins the army because they want to shoot machine guns. Well, first of all, you have to learn how to march and shoot, uh, you know, and and salute and and that sort of stuff. So we all want to have the the fun of being in the army without having to do the basic training stuff. So. I think that the question is whether or not we have the courage to get back to the very, very basics. And traditional observance is part of that, but even traditional observance freemasonry has never, so far as I know, ever fully articulated that book that's sitting on the altar. You know, see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, and I don't necessarily mean that you have to be Christian or Jewish or anything, but 
So I'm going to lay on you a big thing here that just hits hit me recently. So uh, try not to steal it too much, but you can borrow it. It's, <laughs> okay. You know, all good jokes. If it's a good joke, you can borrow it. So I think in many ways, Freemasonry or Freemasons today are similar to um, are, are people who are reenacting an organization, but they or or um, some fiction or a, a heroic poem without actually having read the heroic poem. It's almost like if 30 years from now you have a bunch of people who are running around pretending that they're Harry Potter, but they've never read the Harry Potter books, right? They're dressing up in a plain uh, Quidditch, and they're, they're running around with their, with their wands, and they've got all the Harry Potter books in their house, but they've never read the books. They're just going about thinking that they understand what it is. You know what I'm saying? And I think there's a lot of people in Freemasonry who think they understand the central allegory of Freemasonry of King Solomon's Temple, but they've never actually read the Book of Kings and Chronicles and the books surrounding that in the Old Testament that articulate everything about the, you know, Solomon's Temple, right? That would make sense. Uh, the, the ritual becomes more becomes more full, I guess, or greater in depth and more rich because you've actually gotten a background story. Yeah, Does that make sense? I hope that. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm totally thinking like we're just a bunch of Renfair guys now. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, that well, was one of the first things I, I I did when I started learning the work um, was to like Ruth fourth chapter and seventh verse. What's that? Th what, what is that? Why yep. is that important? What What's before it? What's after it? Um, you know, the, the site that the temple was built on, why does that become a part of the work? Why is that important enough? And so I, I did dig into it, but I'm right. not, yeah, go ahead. So, and what I, what I would mean by that is, yeah, and there are a lot of great Masonic dictionaries and encyclopedias that give you those bits and pieces in the same way that, you know, you could read an encyclopedia of the Lord of the Rings or whatever, and you pick up all the names and the genealogies and who are, what are ants and what are orcs and what are you know, a Balrog, but you have to you have to have that full conversion where you've read the Lord of the Rings several times and you understand how that all works together, right? And that's part of what Freemasons, young men, and, and even a lot of old men, they don't fully have the big picture. They have the bits and pieces, right? And, and we've streamlined everything down so that we don't really, because, because it's just easier as Americans, we want it streamlined, you know? So I, I'm not saying I'm not saying that anybody's to blame for this. I'm just saying that's part of the problem with with us Freemasons articulating why Freemasonry is important because we don't fully understand it ourselves, right? It's it's similar to, and again, I'm not bad mouthing high school teachers, but you know I had high school teachers who tried to explain to me why Shakespeare was so important, but they themselves had only read two or three plays. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So. Uh, it's the same thing. We 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 ourselves as Freemasons don't fully understand the fraternity and its ritual because we're not grounded in the literature that the people who created the fraternity in the 1700s were. If that makes sense. Yeah, sure, it does. absolutely. It does. All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll, and we'll be back. And we're back with uh, Brother Mark Tabert from uh, the, the Masson George Washington Memorial in uh, in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, Mark, so I had a couple listeners. Um, the first one has a nice little comment for you. Uh, it says, question and comment for Mark. He attended the Masonic Roundtable Con 300 event at the memorial this past summer. He says that your uh, keynote speech was incredible. Um, anybody says, pertaining to the memorial restoration. Items and knowledge always seem to be uncovered during any major restoration work of a building. What has been the most interesting, weird, unusual find during the restoration work um, down there? And that question is from Shane Wolf of uh, Odenton, oh. Maryland Lodge number 209. Go Shane. Um, well, I'm not involved with the restoration work. That's all the exterior stuff. That's the stonemasons the actual stonemasons who are working on the exterior of the building and they're repointing and cleaning it. What is interesting, I will say, is that they do, they've they've taken one of the floors over in the tower, the seventh floor, and they've turned it into an operative stonemasons lodge. So they have all the tools and equipment and they go and take their breaks there and eat their lunch in an operative stonemasons lodge uh, on the seventh floor. So that's kind of cool. I guess that's the best thing. Um, 
the, the talk that I gave for the Masonic Roundtable 300th anniversary, that talk um, I submitted to the Masonic Society, so that should be published uh, in the next couple of issues of the, of the Masonic Society Journal. Very cool. Um, and then the, the other question I have here is from uh, Brother Nicholas Harvey. Uh, he's from the Three Distincts uh, Knox podcast. And also, I believe he was a Massachusetts Mason. Um, Good for him. So uh, he, because <laughs> he said, uh, he says here in Boston, we're assigned a Masonic sponsor. He's like a big brother through the entire process. And he said after his third degree, um, his sponsor gave him a copy of your book. And uh, it's been very, very important to him. So here's some of his here's some of his like quick fire questions. Um, do you get any crazy conspiracy theory people there at the uh, memorial? Not anymore. They're all gone away. I don't. I'm not bothered by them for a couple reasons. One, I think that the genre and the interest of Stan, Dan Brown uh, exhausted that, and nobody really cares about that anymore. Um, and also because Sean Iyer is the director of communications, I think most of the crackpots go to him, so I don't have to deal with them. <laughs> but I have. I don't. I. You know, I think I think the silliest one I got several years ago was a woman asked me why there were all red lights all over the building. I said, well, we're in the flight path of Reagan Airport. And if you look at all the other buildings uh, around us, they have red lights, too, because it's part of the flight path. Oh, are you sure? I'm like, yes, I think I'm sure. Yeah. So, uh, but no. <laughs> That's what they told so, me to tell you. Yeah, it's a tall, pointy building. Yeah, right. I think, um, right. Um, so. Do you think that here in uh, America we talk about George Washington too much in the lodge? Ooh, great question. Uh, well, so I think the answer to that is no. We never, we can never talk about George Washington enough because he is the father of our country and he is truly uh, a great individual and truly uh, worthy uh, as an ashler for us to judge our actions as Freemasons. His life, his character, his virtues, the decisions he's made, the challenges he faced in his life. Um, is absolutely a living witness for us as human beings and as Americans. So, the, but the problem is that we talk about Washington in the wrong way. We don't we don't talk about him how we ought to aspire to be like him. We talk about how we're as, we're almost as great as he because he was a Freemason and so am I. Therefore, I must be as good as George Washington. And that's where we get wrapped up in this worship of George Washington without being without improving ourselves. Right. So we'd rather recount the same old stories without reflecting on how we could aspire to live like Washington. And that's that's where it gets tedious. Right. Um, they're not the and the material that I'm working on, the research I'm doing. Uh, I'm discovering more uh, letters and other things that relate to Washington. And there is a book uh, getting closer and closer to fruition uh, that will bring a lot of new material out of Washington and Freemasonry. So, but by all means, you know, if men, any Masons interested in George Washington, that's why the memorial exists, and we have plenty of uh, publications and other things we can send to any master or secretary of the lodge who wants that material. Can never talk about George Washington enough. Absolutely not. We're uh, we're re redecorating a part of my lodge, and one of the things I want to put in the into the basement is the 110 rules of civility. I think that's, yeah, a, that's just a terrific list, and it's it's something easy to pick one and work on that this month. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. So, Mark, uh, last question. I'm not going to ask you all 20, um, but the, uh, <laughs> this is a good one. Um, he just wants to know, when's your next book coming out? What's it about? And uh, where can they learn more about your next book? Well, um, going back a little bit. So, American Freemasons, that book was written almost 15 years ago, and the book was written uh, under the under the editorship of Dick Curtis, who was, of course, a great Massachusetts Freemason um, and a good friend of mine who unfortunately passed away about four years ago. Um, and that book was designed to be a book given to Master Masons, newly raised Master Masons. So by the fact that a, a young ma Master Mason is receiving the book, the book has fulfilled its function and continues to for 15 years on. Um, so the next book I'm working on, we call it the Evidence Book, and this is going to be a book um, published by the University of Virginia Press that will have images and transcriptions of every letter Washington ever received or wrote to Freemasons, along with images of all the artifacts and all the evidence that, that demonstrates Washington's membership in Freemasonry. So it'll be the trial used at the cornerstone ceremony, the question about resolving the issues over which aprons, which Masonic aprons belong to George Washington, um, the minute books where he was interpassed and raised from Frederick Clark, uh, all that good stuff. So I have a database of about 
120, 100, 105 things for the for the book. There's about 45 items in the Library of Congress and discovering new letters that nobody's ever known that existed. So cool. we're going to be doing photography in the next um, couple months. And so the book, eh, I, I'm notoriously bad at this, but it's probably going to be a couple more years before the book is out. Wow. Well, Larry Maris has been working on his second book for 15 years as well. <laughs> He'll send you a copy. Right, right, we're waiting right. for Dan Brown to release right. it first. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, uh, you know, we, we certainly would like to give you, before we wrap up, we certainly would like to give you an opportunity to uh, tell our listeners and your fans where they can find uh, your work and uh, how to contact you if you so desire and uh, uh, take an opportunity to, to plug your wear. So where where can we find your, your, your work? So there, there are four books that, I, that I, my name is on, I think. Um, and all four books are really available to the George Washington Memorial Gift Shop, and you can just get that through the website gwmemorial.org. So besides American Freemasons, I wrote a book called From Museum to Memorial, which is some of the articles I wrote, good, bad, or indifferent, um, over the years, including my recommendations to reorganize all the fraternity and the the conclusion to American Freemasons, which wasn't published in the book. And then um, I produced with a professor friend of mine uh, – a series of articles on the reprints of articles on fraternalism in America. Uh, that's called um, Secret Societies of America, and that was um, that's uh, that was published by Michael Poles uh, Publishing down in New Orleans. But that's available through the gift shop. And then the last book I just came out earlier this year was Reorganizing the 110 Rules of Civility, that was published by McCoy. So it's uh, George Washington's Rules for Life and Lodge, where I, I took the 110 rules and reorganized them uh, for rules to observe before lodge meetings, during lodge meetings, and after lodge meetings at refreshment, and then included a chronology and some other stuff. But all that stuff is available for George Washington Masonic Memorial. The memorial was set up to honor our, the father of our country and to encourage Freemasons to learn more about him and to be better uh, citizens and be better men. So if they really want to contact me, you can send me an email at the memorial. My, it's my first initial and last name, so M. Tabert at gwmemorial.org. I mean, you know the office a lot, and I'm going to be gone for the next three days, but I try to respond uh, in a timely fashion. Um, so in my job as a historian, uh, what the fraternity pays me to do, what the association pays me to do is to help and assist Brother Master Masons, the widows and orphans. So I'm happy to travel and give lodge talks. I, you know, answer any questions you have if you have old artifacts. Like Heather Calloway, your previous guest, uh, guest, I'm happy to travel to lodges. I like to look at images of old artifacts. I'll help you try to save the material. I'm all about trying to save Masonic history. So you, you are speaking. Um, you are that's speaking. What I'm here my, to do. You're speaking my language. Be careful what you say. I'm going to certainly take you up <laughs> yeah. on it. I got I got big plans for my lodge in 2018. So clear that schedule. It, um, is that is your is that your lodge in Lancaster? Yes. Yeah. Lodge 43. Yeah. The one with yeah, I have the, a good uh, friend who lives who lives right there near there in Willow, Willow Street. Oh, wonderful! We'll have to yeah. we'll have to talk yeah, off, off air. That's the lodge that has the faux George Washington statue carved out of wood. Yeah, mm-hmm. I always like to see that. Well, he's retiring. I think that he might be going to Masonic Villages, but th- that's a nice home for him as well. So, <laughs> Mark, before we wrap up, okay. I just I, I just want to say thank you, and I, I think we're all sitting here with our our jaws on the ground and. Uh, I appreciate your absolute candid uh, opinions on on the craft, and I think you hit everything spot on. And I, I think that if we get off this podcast and don't go try to make ourselves better men after this, then uh, we weren't listening. <laughs> then we weren't listening, man. Yeah. Well, well, thank you very much, and I appreciate uh, the invitation to be here. And I'm glad I could participate and uh, bring some sort of information, or at least some sort of humor. Uh, to your uh, to the podcast. So, you did thank well. You. you did well, and the show will actually air October the second, and uh, we'll give you a heads up when it's on the air. Okay, wonderful, Mark. Great. It's been thank fantastic you. having you. Have a great day. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Thanks for coming. Mark. Take care. All right. You bet. Bye. I don't know what to say. <laughs> that was our interview with uh, with Mark Tabbert, and it was uh, certainly wonderful. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, good guy. But you know, Jason's Mr. Modern Mason. He you know kind of fell off his peg a little. <laughs>
I mean, it was great stuff. It was absolutely great stuff. I certainly have more Bibles in my house than uh, uh, than the number of times that I've read it. Oscar Allen, you've been replaced. Sorry to tell you, buddy. Oh, oh. that was Larry Maris, <laughs> not Jason Lewis. I still got you, buddy. <laughs> so. I did want to mention uh, we've inserted some uh, Jeff Moyer-isms in the show, and uh, we actually have a, a working name of uh, Moyer's Mentoring Minutes, but it's kind of turned into Moyer's Magical Minutes. Yeah, I get kind of screwed up when I do the Moyer's Magical yeah. Mentoring so he's, Minutes. Uh, so he's, he's become an official... Uh, uh, spotlight host, I guess, with a with a segment. Does he uh, have no, no, Moyer Moyer? No, no, he's just he just does things for us occasionally. But he's uh, he's in the private he's a host special Facebook. guest no. snark. Special guest snark. Man, he could. <laughs> he does not get. He's not on a host space scale. Do you feel? Can you feel the love tonight, Jeff? So, so I have I have two things to throw out to our audience. Moyer's magical minute. Uh, it needs theme music, so I'm going to put a challenge out there. Somebody uh, wants to write you know, Moyer's Magical Minute with like a 50s uh, jingle kind of theme. Looking at you, Joey, that uh, we would certainly take it, which also reminds me we have a lot of Masonic musicians out there. And, uh, you know, the recording and producing software that we use uh, only has so many samples that I can reuse over and over and over. So if you would like a shout out with some Masonic music, we will certainly put it on air and pay you the same exact amount of money we pay ourselves. And uh, you'll be rich. Just no recorders. <laughs> and you can hang out in your friend's basement with a microphone. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you got some music uh, that you'd like to share, we'd be happy to play some hey, of it. Hey, Jack, when you guys pulled up in front of my house and are walking in with gear, what did the guy mowing the lawn ask you? Yeah, we were coming. Were, were you coming in to play Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> and we said worse. Yes, a Masonic podcast. Oh goodness. But speaking of uh, not guest hosts, but contributors, how about contributor? That's contributor. A, yeah, oh. contributors. Yes, that's too exactly. no. That's too noble. We uh, yes. we need to listen to uh, Seth Anthony and Corpora Obscurum. By the way, Mister and Mrs. Seth Anthony. Yahoo! Sorry, none of us could make it. Yeah, Seth. Sorry, we couldn't make it. Yeah. <laughs> But let's. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the pictures, the pictures of the wedding were nice. Uh, yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, like, yeah it was um, beautiful. Our our check is in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> we were gonna do a remote and everything. And I, I hope you got the RSVP that we weren't coming. <laughs> Love you, Seth. You're about to enter Corpora Obscura, the realm of weird fraternal organizations. Leave your Freemasonry behind. Prepare to meet druids. Caliphs and wild creatures. Knock thrice and enter at your own risk. Flappity flap, Masonic Light Podcast listener. On today's Corpora Obscurum, we're going to the birds and talking about the Fraternal Order of Orioles. The Fraternal Order of Orioles was founded in Rochester, New York in August of 1910. The order was originally named the Order of Owls, but another fraternal order had already taken that name and had a court injunction issued against them. At its 1923 convention in Reading, Pennsylvania, the delegates voted 241 to 8 for a modification of the Prohibition Amendment that it would allow the manufacture of light wine and beers. They also decided to only vote for congressmen who were in favor of such a prohibition. Definitely a group for Pete. Local units are called subordinate nests. State or provincial groups are called grand nests. And the national structure is, you guessed it, the supreme nest, which meets annually in convention. The head of the order is a supreme worthy president, and the head of a local nest is a worthy president. In the early 1920s, the order had a $150,000 headquarter in Buffalo, New York. By the 1970s, the headquarters had moved to Reading, Pennsylvania. While membership has waned, there are currently more than 50 local nests still operating in nine states. The order had a ritual, which was meant to be secret. The organization practiced an initiatory degree for new members. There is also a supreme degree and an invincible degree, both awarded by the supreme nest. The Fraternal Order of Orioles watchwords are Liberty, Integrity, Fraternity, and Equality, spelled out as life on their emblem. The ritual resembled many of the other fraternal societies of the day, with an altar in the center of the room, a Bible, and prayers. Want to learn more about America's fraternal history? Visit the J.H. Rathbone Museum in person in Lafayette, Indiana, 
and online at www.jhrathbonemuseum.org. Hey, and that was Seth Anthony. Thank you, Seth. Um, Jack, do you have any news? You'll be shocked at this news. Good news, everyone! Masonic Light News. News not fit to print. In Masonic News Today, significant research into this date, September 25th, indicates that no Masons anywhere did anything really stupid today. That's the Masonic News. So mode it was. Until now. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, guys, uh, what what do we have coming up in the next two weeks for, uh, for all of us? Jason, we'll start over there. It would have happened already, but Lodge in the Woods. Oh, um, God, it's over almost. Extra, 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 extra meeting. Oh, you know what I forgot to mention? And I'm going to pat myself on the back. But today, which will actually be eight years and a week ago by the time you hear this, is my eight-year anniversary of being stroke-free. So shout out to all my Moya Moya people. Uh, but is that eight Jeff years, Moya? Yeah, Moya? Jeff. No, it's not Jeff Moya Moya. Oh, okay. uh, got diagnosed with a rare brain condition, Moya Moya, and I'm here to talk about it. So pretty stoked about that and we're I'm pretty, glad you I'm pretty stoked about that thank you thank you very much oh <laughs> uh, jack what do you have going on i am going to be in full recovery after lodge in the woods that's my week larry you have anything going on masonically oh lord yeah tall cedars uh, tomorrow night tall cedars tomorrow night with the wife exactly uh, uh lodge in the woods lodge in the woods on wednesday and you're going to record some interviews uh yes i am okay um, Sonic Light Podcast will be covering extensively Lodge in the Woods, and I hope to talk to a few line officers. They're going to have a microphone parked and pointed in their face, so they will have to say you, a few You mean words. Grand Line? Grand, Grand, Grand Lodge. Line officers. Is, what right. I said? is this like line Radio officers. Row at, at uh, Super Bowl Sunday? Is that it's like I'm here with be. the Percivant of uh, St. <laughs> John's. <laughs> um, nice. Is that it, Larry? You just um, kind of trailed off. Yeah, I kind of trail off. There are, there are other things. We have lodge meeting coming up, breakfast and so forth, uh, fellowship on Thursday. I've got a Masonic function every night of the week this week. They said it would only be one night a month off. Yeah, yeah right. So um, I probably won't be at breakfast this week, Larry. That's right. Tell us about that. Well, no, because Thursday I'm um, I'm getting cat scans, but that's that's not why. The big thing. What's up with your cats? They're, they're, they need a second opinion on my—, on my uh, oh, I forget the rest of the joke. Um no, Friday or, or Friday or Saturday, I'm flying out to uh, Barcelona, Spain. So that's my exciting. It's not really Masonic, but I'm getting out of the country. Very fun. As long as they accept me. Yeah. So yeah. Well, yeah, we let you to, back is the question. We need to figure out where we're recording next time then. Yeah, we need the microphone. Yeah, you guys have to pack up all the stuff when we go. Oh. Yeah. Do we have the badges for MLP too? God, I don't no. want to pack this crap up tonight. Well, you don't have to do it tonight. Well, Thank God. Uh, Larry, yo, take us out of here. Oh, all right. Let's Cue the go. chickens. Oh, buck, buck. Ready? Uh, hey, we've been ready, Larry. Slap away. Take us out of here. Special thanks to Monarch Studios and their continually phenomenal studio, and to Mrs. for allowing us to play. Uh, what's that game we play down here? Dungeons, Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons. Dragons. Thank you. Uh, our producer and co-host Jason Lewis, who takes the show to new heights every time. Jack Harley, our news director. R.C. McCorvey, brother on the street. Seth Anthony, for his insight into fraternities that, again, we had no idea existed. Uh, also, too, a uh, couple other things I want to mention here. As long as I get my papers and I can read them. Ah, uh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, our podcast reviewer, incidentally, who is... Uh, can't stand the noise. He, he, he sent me a terse. Can't stand the noise. Uh, sent me a terse email the other day, which has me kind of upset. Uh, I'll I'll bring it to everybody's attention uh, at our next uh, uh, supper together before the show. Uh, I, I think we may have to replace him. Uh, our PR director, equally, I sent her the same message. Uh, uh, our PR director is BSer, and she's pretty sharp. Uh, a staff fact checker, near enough, near enough, near enough. Near, I can't read it. Near enough. What? We have staff I, infections? Yeah, we have, we have, we have Larry, staff this is slacking again. Stack, you you, you got good checker. for a couple weeks, and now yeah. we're back to like week one. I lost my big page. Uh. <laughs> well, anyway, 
That's it, folks. Uh, this is, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, come on. Come on. I want to thank the uh, law firm of uh, Dewey Cheatham and Al. Uh, always have our backs. This is Larry Maris. This is Pete. I've already left. Jason Lewis. Jack has left the building. Thanks for listening. Get that part. That's awesome. <laughs> Can't find that damn sheet. Find that damn sheet. <laughs> okay, I'm here now. All right, so. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> bring us back. Are you, you're, well, you're going to bring us back, right? Clap. Yeah, but you're all right. So yeah. they're going to do like. I'll a, bring it back. All right, I'll shut up. Wait.